Um, this morning, we are continuing our series, uh, Prone to Wander, as we look at the kind of the cycle of sin uh, experienced by the Israelites and illustrated in the book of Judges. Now, the book of Judges is a book that many of us know stories from, but on a lot of levels, I don't think we know this, what the real story of Judges is. We know the story of Samson, we know the story of Gideon, we know the story of Deborah, we know all these different stories and we can kind of recount them because we, we, we learn them in Sunday school class, so they're, they're kind of these interesting things that God did. Um, but the overall idea of the book of Judges, I think, is something that we're trying to step into and for us to begin to understand. The book of Judges is this beautiful window into the life of people who are confronted with sin, but do not quite understand how to break through. And really, it's, it's the story of what takes place in our humanity when we try to overcome sin, aside from what the cross has done, aside from what the Holy Spirit has done. It's where we will always find ourselves. The book of Judges is this incredible story of this nation that was chosen by God, given by God, or, taken, or, or chosen by God, um, taken by God out of, out of slavery, out of Egypt, put into a, into a promised land, a place in which God wants to prosper them, God wants them to grow. All of these different miraculous things he did in their lives to bring them there. They start the book of Judges in that place. And by the end of Judges, we're left with a group of people who the, the Bible says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And they were lost, and they were wandering away from God. See, what essentially happened is, is they would be confronted with the temptations of their lives. Over time, they just continued to, to take, on those take in those temptations and live in sin. And then what they would do is, over time, as a result of whatever was taking place, they would they'd go to a form of repentance, and they would live okay for a little while. And then all of a sudden, they'd take in the sin. And they find themselves in a difficult situation, in a, in a hard situation, and take on a form of repentance. And then they go back to God, and then after a while they go back into their sin. And ultimately landed in a place in which they said, I want to live the way I think it's right. I'll, I'll pick and choose the things that I think are wrong. I'll pick and choose the things that I think are right. I want to live the way I want to live. I want to do what's right in my own eyes. And that's ultimately where we see them at the end of the book of Judges. Does that, does that cycle, to, does that mindset sound familiar to you? When we look around the world in which we live, when we look around, even, uh, even within the church, we, what we tend to see most often is people who are essentially living in a way that is right in their own eyes. What feels good for them, what feels right for them. For a lot of Christians, even what we do is we have this, this kind of form of godliness, this kind of like idea about God, kind of like the Israelites did. But we'll just kind of pick and choose how we want to live our lives. Kind of in that, in that place. And then when things get really bad, then what we do is we turn back to God. The reason why this sounds familiar is because we in our humanity do the same thing. But the truth is, we as Christians don't have to do the same thing. We don't have to be in that place. As we discovered in week one of this series, 
God created a different path for believers. He created a different way for believers because of what Jesus Christ did. He doesn't want us to continue in that sin cycle, and yet so many of us Christians find ourselves there. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross provides a way out. The work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives provides a pathway, an encouragement, a strength to overcome and break the sin cycle cycle that the Israelites were in. I don't know if you guys remember, but that first week we read in Romans chapter 8 where where Paul describes specifically the path we have before us as Christians. He says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See, Paul describes in chapter 7 of Romans the sin cycle. The the sin cycle that he was trapped in. Where he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I continue to do. And he says, says, woe is me, What, what a wretched man I am. Because he's describing what it is to be man. But then as you turn the page of chapter 8, he says, but God killed that sin in, my, in me by the work of Christ and, and, and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the pathway we can have. But it's funny because as I describe the sin cycle of the judges, many of us Christians, many of us sincere Christians who who have received Christ, who, 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 have, who have endeavored to live in Christ, can still identify with that sin cycle. We find ourselves in that same cycle because we approach repentance and sin the same way the Israelites did. Not living the way we have the ability to live because of the work of Christ. We find ourselves depending on our ability to live according to the law instead of relying on the Spirit of God. Instead of relying on what the Holy Spirit has given us, what Christ has done for us. We continue in in our own flesh to say, this is the do's and don'ts. These are the rights and wrongs. And I've got to live in accordance with that. But yet, in our flesh, we continue to fail. And, and, and what we learned last week is that when we do continue to fail, sometimes what we do is we find ourselves identifying with our sin and staying in our sin because we are too ashamed to go to the face of God in full repentance and find redemption. We have continued in the pathway of the Israelites and judges And so we have to look at our own lives in light of it and say, what am I doing? We we have to confront our approach to sin and our understanding of repentance. And that's why I love Judges, because it gives us that opportunity. For today's discussion, 
I want to ask you a basic question that will help us clarify our personal understanding of sin and repentance. This right now is really about each one of us individually looking at our own hearts, our own lives, the way we live, and saying, how do I understand sin? How do I understand repentance? How do I practice this? The question I have for you this morning is this. When confronted with your sin, do you express regret or true repentance? Quite often, I think the easiest way to diagnose the root of, of a sin cycle is to analyze whether your heart experiences regret when confronted with your sin or true repentance when confronted with your sin. The Israelites in the time of Judges provides for us an example to which we can compare ourselves as it relates to this question. The, the story I want to look at today is one that, that many of you guys have heard. It's the story of Gideon. And before we get into that story, I want to remind you what I mean by repentance. It's really not helpful to analyze regret versus repentance if we don't truly understand what repentance is. Repentance isn't a feeling. It's really an action. When we look at, at the definition of the word repentance in the Bible, it, is, it ultimately is describing a, a profound mind change that motivates you to change. A profound change in the way you think, the way you see something, and so profound that it changes the way you do things. Literally what it's describing is you, you come to a point and you say, I've got to stop going this direction and literally turn my body and go that direction. What we're talking about when we, when we ask the question, when confronted with your sin, do you really feel regret or do you experience true repentance? What we're saying is, do you find sin and say, I've got to change the way I think. I've got to change the way I act. I've got to go in a completely different direction. Or do you simply feel bad about something? So often, the repentance we see from the Israelites is not so much repentance as it is regret. And in Judges chapter 6, I think we see this illustrated. Judges chapter 6, verse 1 begins with this. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Stop there. This is where we see, right from the get-go, the declaration that the Israelites have wandered from God. That the Israelites have, have turned from God and wandered after a period of what seemed to be repentance. In fact, if you go back to chapter 5, it's the story of, of the prophetess of the prophetess Deborah providing um, a, a pathway to freedom for the Israelites. The, the, the very last declaration in chapter 5 is, and there was, and there was peace for, for 40 years. And then you go from there and it says, 
And the Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of, of God. You see the cycle, you see the cycle like captured in literally two verses. They turned to God, they lived at peace for 40 years, and then they did what was evil in the sight of God. And as a result of that, something happened. How many of you guys realize that almost, almost always, as a result of sin, something happens? So what's happening here is they, they turn and they do what's evil in the sight of God, and something happens. In this case, God allows the Midianites to come in and cause them a great deal of turmoil. The hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves um, and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come up like locusts in number. Both them and their camels could not be counted so that they would lay waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people cried out, for help to the Lord. Here's where we find ourselves right now as it relates to the story of the Israelites. These are people who were in a place in which God had given them victory. They turned their back and began to do what was evil in God's sight. God said, fine. God said, I'll leave you over to your circumstances. You've chosen to go your own way. I'll let you live in your own plan. And because of that, the Midianites came in and they find themselves in a bad way, right? They're living in caves. They, they, can't, they, can't, they can't plant crops and, and reap the crops. They can't have livestock. They've got to hide. They're, they're, they're starving. They're struggling. They're in a bad way. And what do they do? They turn to God. They cry out to God. Ultimately, what we're talking about here is that the consequences of their sin caught up with them. The consequences of them doing what was evil in the eyes of God and then turning their back on God caught up with them. And this is really ultimately where we see the first issue with Israel and its relationship with sin. And we can begin to examine our own relationship with sin. They never addressed their sin until their sin took a toll. They, they never looked at their sin. They never, you, don't, you don't see anything in there. They cried out to God. No, they did what was evil in the eyes of God. Because of that, the Midianites came in. They find themselves in a bad way, and then they cry out to God. They never addressed their sin until they had to pay a price for their sin. Why? Why don't we address sin before it takes a toll? Let me tell you, part of the problem is we wait for it to feel wrong. We wait for our emotions to catch up with our truth. And in reality, we are allowing our emotions then to drive our lives. We sin because we like sin. We sin because sin feels good. 
And when it stops feeling good, that's when we cry out to God. That is a very dangerous place to live. Ultimately, you have to ask yourself this question. Would I avoid sin? Would I lay down sin even if sin feels good? Will I lay down sin? Will I, will I let go of sin even if there's no penalty for me to pay in the moment for my sin? Will I lay down sin because I know it's right to lay down sin? Period. This is, this is one of the problems we have as Christians that you have got to wrestle with. Do I do what's right because I know God is right? Because I know God is truth? Or do I do what's right because it's better for me? And I don't have to pay a price for it if I sin. Did you know sometimes you can live in sin and it work out for you just fine? That's one of the questions I don't think we ever really look at here, right? Do you know that the Midianites were working out, it was working out just fine for the Midianites, wasn't it? <laughs> the Midianites had everything they wanted. They, the, Israel was under their boot. They, they could take whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, however they wanted. How many of you think the Midianites were following God? They weren't, were they? How many of you know there are people in your life, there are people in your workplace, there are people in your neighborhood who do not serve God, who do not follow God, who are in their sin, and they're doing just fine? Do you see how dangerous it is for us as Christians to make our feelings determine our understanding of repentance? That's the pathway to everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. There is a point at which we have to come in which we say, I do what is right because God tells me to. I live a certain way because God is truth. He sent his son. I have ultimate redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I choose to do the right thing because it is the right thing. The truth is we sin because it feels good. Many Christians have this sublime conversion experience where sin is set down with joy. Where, where we feel the weight of our sin. And we feel the joy that comes from the acceptance of Jesus Christ. But later we live our lives and we wait for that same experience to motivate our repentance only to find that we love our sin and don't want to give it up. So we begin to kind of fashion an understanding of Christianity that allows us to hang on to the sin that we love until it costs us something. And if it never does, we've created kind of our own religion. This is a terrible way to attempt to live out our Christian faith. Because we and our humanity will never rein in our fleshly passions until there is a price that weighs heavily upon us. It's what it is to be human, really. It's why the sin cycle of the Old Testament is there. And it's why there was a need for Jesus Christ to come. Because we as humans 
We as humans want what we want, want to take what we want to take, want to enjoy our lives, want to feed our flesh. And so if it feels good, we like to do it. If it feels bad, we don't want to do it. And that's why the reality is many Christians, when it comes to sin, only repent in the face of regret and don't really understand what true repentance is. That's why the Israelites failed over and over again. They were reliant on their own abilities to lead them to truth. But in ourselves, we can't do that. What does it say in Jeremiah chapter 17? About knowing our hearts, about what, what, what people can do, what humans have the ability to understand about themselves. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? How many of you agree with that? In your experience of life, how many of you agree with that? And yet, how many of us continue to rely upon where our heart leads us, what I feel about things, what I think about things, to kind of guide my life, to kind of lead me in a direction? The declaration here in Jeremiah 17 is literally about governing oneself in accordance with one's own wisdom, knowledge, emotions. Where my heart leads me, that's where I'm going. In fact, in in, in verse 5, God says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, whose heart will depart from the Lord. That's 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 the lead into the declaration about how our hearts are deceptive, our hearts are evil. God is literally saying, if you follow your own heart, if you follow your own mind, if you follow your own ideas, it will lead you to destruction. You, can only, you, you, you cannot rely on your emotions to dictate your acts of repentance. Or else, or else you will wait until the price of your, chin, your sin changes your emotions. Not, not the truth of God's holiness, not, not the preciousness of the relationship that you have with him because of the work of Christ to guide you. You'll find yourself in the sin cycle of the Israelites. How do I know that the Israelites' response was regret and not repentance? Ultimately, it's the story of Gideon. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord in account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave them their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat on the terebinth in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abarzite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now what we have so far here is the, the Israelites have turned from God, done what's evil in their sight, cried out to God. The prophet comes to him. The, prophets, the prophet comes to them, and he says, listen, I've done all this for you. 
God said, I've done all this for you. I set you free. I, I, I put you in a right place. I did all these things for you. And you still have chosen to not obey my voice. It's, fa- it's really fascinating. The declaration of the prophet speaking the words of God to the people of Israel. Did you, did, you, did you realize? He doesn't give them hope there. He, he doesn't say, and now I will. He just says, this is what you did, and that's why you're where you are. So the angel of the Lord then comes to Gideon, and, and he, says, he makes this declaration, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. It's a fascinating interaction there, because the angel comes to Gideon and says, the Lord's with you, mighty man of valor. And you know what Gideon does? Really? Are you sure? And so he puts, he puts a test out before the angel, and he, he, says, he says, do this, do that, and then I'll know that what you're saying is true. This is really how far Israel had fallen. This is, the, this is their best. This is, this is who God is saying, you're a mighty man of valor. Angel shows up to him. And he goes, mm, Maybe. So he wants them to prove that, that what he's saying is true. So they go through the test and they, they prove it's true. And the angel says to him, okay, what I want you to do, what God wants you to do, what God is telling you to do at this point is, is to go and tear down the altar that the Israelites have built to the, to, to, to the false god Baal. I, I want you to go and tear that down. These, these Israelites have wandered from me. They've done what's evil in my sight. They're crying out to me. I want you to go and I want you to tear down the idol that they, the, the altar that they've set up to this, this idol. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down. And the Asherah beside it was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. The men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. Do you see the depths of their spiritual ignorance? Do you see the mark of cries of regret and not repentance? While crying for God's deliverance, they continue to maintain their altars of decadence. While seeking God's salvation, they continue to bow at the altar of their own sinfulness. And at no point do they see these things as incongruent. They still continue to do what is right in their own eyes, following their own emotions. They regret their circumstances, so they cry out to God. But they maintain the altars of their idolatry, and so they're doomed to a cycle of sin. This is the truth with many of us today. Many Christians today, crying out to God in the face of the consequences of our sin, continue to cultivate 
the altars of our sinfulness. This is really following, this is really the fruit of following your own heart. Of being governed by your own feelings. Instead of your covenant with Christ, the truth of your word, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I want us to return to the the context of the passage we read in Jeremiah 17. Where God says a man is cursed who trusts in man. A man is cursed who follows his deceitful heart because he, he, he is foreshadowing in this the, the cycle of sin. He is living for himself and therefore will lead to sin. And God in Jeremiah 17 is saying, listen, this is where your heart leads. And he's trying to say to to them, listen, you can't do this on your own. And God in this declaration, Jeremiah says, there's going to be something that comes that helps you. That allows you to break this cycle. And that is Jesus Christ. It's what, it's what Paul says in Romans 8. It's Jesus Christ. We as Christians have the ability to break this sin cycle. Read what he says. Instead of, in, in, in response, the Lord says in Jeremiah 17, in response to, instead of the curse that comes on man who relies on himself, he says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. Now he is like a tree planted by the water that sends out his roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and he is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Trust in the Lord. Trust in his word, in his truth, in his spirit. Be led by that, not your emotions. Not not the threat of what's going to come as a result of your sin. We have to live in the covenant of faith that was established by the blood of Christ, committed to our love relationship, not driven to and fro by our feelings of emotion. We live in our love relationship with Christ. Period. That's what we choose to do. We say, God says this is true. Therefore, I live in that truth. God says this is right. Therefore, I live in that righteousness. Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross and he sent his Holy Spirit to empower me to live as he calls me to live. It doesn't matter whether, whether the sin is going to catch up with me. It doesn't matter whether the sin is going, to be, is going to be hurtful or painful. I'm going to live in truth. And because we live in that place, we truly repent of our sins. Not because it feels good or because that, 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 that sin is exacting a present price but because we love him. We know ultimate truth is found in Jesus. 
And here's the reality. In light of this, Jesus in his word provides an important warning for us. A warning I want us to contemplate in light of this morning's message as we enter into a time of worship. All that has been said to this point is about our individual hearts. How do we approach sin and repentance? It's about us examining individually our own hearts and our own approach to our brokenness. And I want you to to hear the sobering warning that I believe Jesus Christ lays out for the Church of America to us here at Mercy Hill and to us as individuals. It's found in Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, I write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in your right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent. And do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. See, we have this experience in Christ that shows us our sin. We come to that point, maybe it was at the altar, maybe it was in a car somewhere, maybe it was at a coffee shop, maybe it was in your bedroom, where you realize that the sin you've, you've had, the sin you've been living in, provides no hope for you. And so you joyously lay it down and receive Jesus Christ, and he becomes your all in all. And then over time, You build a little altar here and a little altar there. You begin to bend your knee in places to things you know God doesn't want you doing. That you know is sin. And you've lost the first love. The singular love you have for Christ. Repentance is meant to lead us back to that love. That's why he says that. Return. Repent and return to your first love. We need to examine our lives. Do you live a life of true repentance? 
governed by the love covenant made with Christ through his blood? Or do you live a life of fits of regret brought on by the price of your sin? This is the time to truly repent. It's not when you feel bad because you said something terrible and destructive to your husband or your wife. Because you allowed your own pride to rise up and you've chosen the path of sin because your feelings led you there. Now is the time to repent and say, God, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to live according to my passions, according to my feelings that, that drive me to do things. Now is the time to repent. Not, not after you engage in a deviant behavior and you know that's wrong and, and now you, you've been caught or somebody's seen you do something. This is the time of true repentance. Because you know how much Jesus Christ loved you. That he took that sin to the cross and nailed it there so that you don't have to be controlled by it anymore. He sent his spirit to lead you and to guide you into full truth. Do you live a life of true repentance? Are you governed by the love covenant made with Christ by his blood, or do you live a life of fits of regret, brought on by the price of your sin? former is the sanctifying life of the believer, governed by the Spirit of God, and the latter is the existence of an individual, controlled by human emotion, brought on by the circumstances of life. He died to give you so much more than that. turn to your first love.